uh, you can see why translation would be really important as a way to uh, just communicate across cultures, where or even across uh, different populations. I am Abdul Kizito, an intern at the Institute for Humanities at the University of Michigan. And in this special season finale, Cole Simon was able to sit down with three guests who have worked on the project Translating Midwest. Featured in this episode are Dr. Yopi Prince, a professor of comparative literature at the College of Literature, Science and Arts, Graham Liddell, a graduate student of comparative literature with an interest in refugee storytelling and oral history, and Emmanuel Orozco Castellanos, an undergraduate who's worked with Dr. Prince over the summer to bring this project to life. Their work on translating Midwest explores the often overlooked diversity of the Midwest and strives to bring these parts of America together. This week, Cole Simon was able to chat with all three of them about their varied experiences on the project. And now, for the last time this semester, we ask, why should you care? Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here uh, on Zoom. I know we're actually spread a little bit across the world this time. Emmanuel's joining us from Switzerland. And how about we start with you, Emmanuel? How about you give us a little introduction on who you are, what your relation to this project is, what you've been involved in, and you know how you found out about the project, how you met Yopi, how you got involved with her. And you know, let's just start from there. Yeah, sure. Uh, so yeah, my name is Emmanuel. I'm a senior at the University of Michigan, majoring in um, international studies and doing a, mi a minor in translation and a minor in Latin American studies. And um, the way I came across this project was, I think I can summarize it as a series of uh, really lucky coincidences. Um, uh, uh, Yopi happened to be advising the um, just minor, the translation minor that semester, I think it was uh, winter of 2021, yeah, last year. So um, we were um, we were just talking about the courses I wanted to uh, to take for the next semester and Yopi mentioned, um, you know, she asked me why I was interested in the minor in translation. And I said, well, I did this work with this organization called Freedom House Detroit and that got me very passionate about interpretation and translation. And that's pretty much how uh, she just picked it up. And she uh, asked me, she told me about this project uh, um, that she was um, gonna run in the fall, the Translate-a-thon. And, you know, she gave me like a month to think about it. And I ended up emailing her uh, and it was uh, <laughs> one of the most rewarding decisions I've done as an undergrad, yeah. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that, Graham. If you'd like to share, you're a grad student. Emmanuel said uh, he's a senior here at U of M, but you're working on a master's at the moment, if I remember correctly. I'm working on a PhD, and um, yeah, I'm a PhD student in comparative literature, um, and I got involved in the project uh, because um, I work on uh, Arabic is one of the languages I uh, study. And um, I'm actually from Michigan and had some experience um, living in Hamtramck, Michigan, where there's a large uh, Yemeni American population and then have some friends in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, and so Yopi kind of knew about that and putting on this event, she just reached out to me to see if I'd be interested in um, helping to organize an event that focused on uh, Arabic since it's such a 
um, widely spoken language here in Southeast Michigan. I would love to hear some more about that as we get going, because I think that's something that not a lot of people are totally aware of, especially I'm from a more northern part of Michigan. And there, I don't think we're quite as aware of like how diverse things can be in, in Michigan, just heading south. But even within our own communities, I know there, you know, big uh, where I'm from, there's a large like Ukrainian population. And depending on where you're driving around, you can see signs in um, the Cyrillic alphabet, which is interesting. And so, yeah, it's something that people aren't always aware of unless they're exposed to it every day. And Yopi, as the one that seems to have been orchestrating a lot of this with Emmanuel and Graham, how did you begin your work on this project and how did you end up here where you are now? I'm Yopi Prinz. I'm chair of the Department of Comparative Literature uh, at the University of Michigan, and I'm a professor of English and comparative literature. And during my term as chair, we've been coordinating a whole series of initiatives around translation at the university. Uh, we introduced a minor in translation studies about eight years ago. We now have a graduate certificate in critical translation studies. And um, a couple years ago, I worked with a team of colleagues, faculty in my department and related departments to put together a Mellon grant uh, for a series of seminars called Sites of Translation in the Multilingual Midwest. And this was a public facing research initiative to explore um, Michigan as a multilingual heterogeneous site, a vibrant place in the Midwest with diverse histories and cultures of translation. And we are running series of seminars around this topic, Translate Midwest. We have a website under that title. Um, my seminar was um, featured this fall or fall of 21 called Translation for the Community. And it's through the seminar that I coordinated that I reached out to Graham and also to Emmanuel to help um, launch some of our activities in the fall of 22, 21, fall of 21. I heard you use the name um, Multilingual Midwest. I know I've in my mind referred to it as Translate Midwest, which you said is this interactive website you have. What is this project kind of more broadly or maybe these multitude of projects that all are interrelated? You know, what is this project? Um, what do you hope to take from it? What is it that you're working on or working towards? Well, we're highlighting the US Midwest as a multilingual region that's shaped by many waves of immigration as well as native inhabitants. And we're building on interdisciplinary resources at Michigan as a public university. We're dedicated not only to global initiatives, but well also to local outreach. And we wanted to highlight um, research and teaching around the multilingualism of the Midwest, um, both within our university and also in outreach to other universities, colleges, and schools, and to the diverse language communities around us. So it's a, in many ways a public humanities project that builds on our strengths as a department and our research as scholars, as teachers, and teachers as well. Thank you for that. And maybe I could hear from you, Emmanuel. You said you've worked with um, Freedom House Detroit. Uh, what other projects have you done related to this field? Or maybe since you've worked with the OP, like what, what have you been involved in? What has Translate Midwest done uh, with your involvement? Yeah, so um, Yopi emphasized, you know, ever since we, we started working on planning the, the translate-a-thon, that um, we, we wanted to highlight, highlight the work of local NGOs and how they were using multilingualism, translation and languages as a tool for social change. 
And I think in the case of Freedom House, it's very clear that um, because they, they provide many services for asylum seekers in the US um, uh, and Canada, um, you know, they've been present for, for I, I believe, more than a decade. It might be two decades. It's, it's been for a very long time. And we still had this sense that not a lot of people knew about their work. And, um, you know, at Freedom House, they're, they're always in need for translators and they have a long history with the University of Michigan that go, goes back also many, many years. So we wanted to bring that to the public eye and highlight how students and professors and uh, oftentimes volunteer to translate declarations by asylum seekers or evidence that, that's used in court in life-saving cases. And we wanted to make this connection that although translation in and on itself might not save lives, it can be part of the, the work that organizations like Frame House do that actually saves people's lives. Could you go in a little bit more into this Translate-a-thon? Is it a recurring event? What does it look like? How were you involved with it? Well, um, the Translate-a-thon is an annual event that we've been running for about 10 years now. It's um, coordinated by the Language Resource Center. Julie Effershet is the director there and she's been doing an amazing job um, running this as a community-driven translation marathon where volunteers come together to translate materials for the benefit of our community. Uh, this event is co-sponsored by Comparative Literature and we were celebrating 10 years of the Translate-a-thon in the fall of 21. Um, so we were really interested in doing some special events to highlight. So we had uh, a special connection feature to Freedom House and Emmanuel made a wonderful video about translating for Freedom House that is now available. It's up on our website and also the LRC website. He also um, he did interviews with other translators who have been volunteering their time for Freedom House. We also hosted a lecture on translation and migration with a um, well-known author, Carla Corneo Villavicencio. And uh, we, we had a lot, of, we had more than 200 students involved um, virtually in the Translate-a-thon over this intense weekend in October of 21. Well, when does this take place? If you're someone listening who is able to help translate languages, you know, you're fluent or semi-fluent in a foreign language, like when is this happening again? When could you get involved? How would you get involved with something like this? It's usually announced for the fall of each year and the Language Resource Center sends out publicity and um, reaches out to volunteers both on campus but also community members around campus. So we're very open to um, members of all ages to participate in the Translate-a-thon and I believe Emmanuel had already done several rounds of the Translate-a-thon um, and Graham has also been involved. To uh talk to you for a second Graham you said you've grown up in southwest or southeast Michigan um Arabic is a language you study is that in part um influenced by the languages that you heard spoken around you in Michigan um well I guess I always had a little bit of a curiosity about Dearborn growing up but I grew up in Livonia so um there was there was a small Palestinian American population in Livonia but not um not nearly as visible as it is in Dearborn um as you said that, you know, you're talking about these um, Cyrillic alphabets on signposts when you just drive through Dearborn, it's, it looks like any other um, Metro Detroit suburb, but um, all of a sudden, this, uh, there's a lot of Arabic signs and um, it's just uh, 
something, you know, being from Livonia, uh, which I think does sort of fit more like the stereotype that we're trying to combat with this project, you know, it's a lot more homogenous uh, culturally, um, you know, it, Dearborn makes sort of a big impression, but um, uh, yeah, I, I ended up studying Arabic sort of by chance, uh, just through a prerequisite uh, in take, of taking a Middle East studies class in undergrad and just sort of developed an interest. But uh, I think, you know, that was, that was something that um, was always tied to like my Arabic studies that we would go on sort of class trips to Dearborn, to Shatila Bakery, you know, going and getting uh, different uh, Middle Eastern sweets. Um, and uh, so it was always great to have that, um, that community that was sort of rooted in the place near where I grew up that could, uh, that I could visit as I developed in my Arabic studies. You touched on a few points that I, I wanted to jump back to, um, primarily dealing with with your your three different perspectives coming into this project. Um, Graham, I'd like to start with you just because um, you were just speaking, but you said that you had this exposure from a young age and this interest to these different communities in your area, you know, being interested in Dearborn and taking trips there, as well as being exposed to these Middle Eastern studies classes as an undergrad. So how has your background either from how you were brought up, where you were brought up, um, different classes and courses you've taken throughout your education now as a PhD student, um, and then like Emmanuel as a senior in undergrad or Yopi as a lecturer and PhD, a recipient of a PhD, like how have all of your different perspectives come together to help shape these various projects you're working on and, and give you a more maybe well-rounded view on, on what you're doing? So I guess, yeah, we, I think we all do have a, a, a range. We have a range of different backgrounds and something that's really helped inform the way that I think about Arabic and translation, I think, uh, is my experience uh, in journalism, actually. After I finished undergrad, I worked for um, a couple of maybe three years in journalism and focused on, uh, on Middle East related news sites. One was uh, actually in the West Bank in Palestine. And uh, we worked with translators who would you know, provide a pretty bare bones translation from an Arabic website and then English, uh, I was on the English desk and I would, I would um, work with those translations to, and, but then I had to be thinking about, you know, not only um, translating the word for word, but translating to a different audience since the readers of the English website were coming mostly from the United States and uh, the UK. So I guess it made me think about translation in a, in a different way. So instead of just thinking about it, like, okay, it, translation is just a one-to-one -one thing. It's almost robotic. I, I realized that translation is a lot more um, complex. So that's the way that my own professional background has informed the way I think about translation. So the event that we ran last, that we um, held last semester brought together um, people working on translation from a lot of different perspectives to sort of showcase that richness um, and the kind of multiple layers in translation from providing language access to people who want to go to the polls to vote, from to people uh, who just want to get an education, um, and for providing language access for public health issues, to um, thinking about translation uh, as a kind of way to represent um, different cultures to one another, um, to thinking about translation uh, in the literal sense of translating a book or um, translating uh, an academic article. So that was, I think, uh, 
that that background, I think, informed the way that I wanted to think about translation really broadly. So much there that I, I want to dive into, but I'd like to hear from Emmanuel and Yopi again on, on their different perspectives, both being in comparative literature and in translation for longer or, you know, coming from a different background or whatever they have to offer. So Emmanuel or Yopi, if one of you would like to chime in there. To me, I mean, it's a very, very obvious uh, connection uh, because I, I actually grew up in Mexico and I moved to Michigan roughly four years ago with my family and I, I could barely speak, speak English. So I, I had to struggle with the language barrier and it was language was very, a very present reality, uh, trying to, you know, apply uh, for college. And I, I think, you know, one of the reasons why I got involved with Freedom House uh, was because uh, one, in one of my English classes as a freshman, uh, my professor, um, Angela Hathi Kambalana, who teaches at Henry Ford College, uh, asked us to write about uh, our histories of migration, you know, and just interview our families. And what was very interesting is that I, I knew that my grandparents had been to the United States, but I never really, like, I, I never really understood why or the details of the story. So I had the opportunity to sit down with my mom and talk about that story. And what I found out is that my grandparents actually, um, where I, at least my uh, mom's dad was part of the Bracetas program, you know, when the, the US government brought a lot of Mexican workers after World War II. And what I found is that actually my grandfather had been coming to the United States for like 16 years. So he had this long lasting connection to this country that I like I never thought about. And now being myself as a Mexican immigrant in this country, just feeling that sense of connection that goes back into our generations was just very empowering. And I wrote a story about that. I translated, of course, that interview with my mom. So that, that was a very powerful testament of the, you know, how translation can be used to understand one another in like my own place in the world and and just understand my, my family's story of migration. And that, that same essay is actually published in one of the articles for the translated, uh, one of the websites of this, um, uh, the translated thon, which is a translating Michigan, where we asked people to submit stories of migration and multilingualism. Um, but also, uh, I have to say that so coming as an as an immigrant and also as an interpreter that has this view, you know, that I, I come from a bilingual background and and I see myself as a bilingual scholar. I think it was um, just. Um, kind of informed how I approached my own work. And I have to say, YOP was very encouraging and just, you know, being in a place where you feel that that reality celebrated, um, I think it was, it was just one of the best professional experiences I've had. And I, I, I told Yopi that so many times, but I really mean it. It was so exciting to meet Emmanuel last year as a translation studies minor and to learn about his background and his interests. And that's when I realized that he was the perfect person to collaborate with me in the summer of 21 to prepare for a translation for the community in the fall. And uh, we talked about different projects he could work on, um, interviewing people for Freedom House, translators and other volunteers, but also to highlight his own story. Because one of the things that's really um, important about translation studies to me is that it highlights 
the multilingualism of our community at the University of Michigan. We have a lot of students who come in with multiple languages and we see that as a great resource. And I, um, about 10 years ago, our Department of Comparative Literature coordinated a theme semester at the LSNA level. So it was a college-wide theme semester around translation and was really to highlight the, um, all the languages that we hear spoken around us and also to make visible to students how we are surrounded by translation. We are translating all the time in different ways, not just between languages, but also between cultures and media and disciplines. So in many ways, translation is the perfect liberal arts concept. And um, so we, that's how we've introduced more uh, translation studies into the curriculum through comparative literature. Um, I was also really excited to work with Graham Liddell um, as a PhD student in our department because of his background in Michigan, learning Arabic, and um, he, his background as a journalist, so he worked really hard to put together this symposium on translation and the making of Arab American community in the fall. He collaborated with a faculty colleague, Khaled Matawa, who is the director of, Af um, the director of Amas, Arab um, and Muslim American studies. Yes. So uh, they worked together on this project and it turned into a really interesting series of panels on translation for community needs through an organization called Access, um, a panel on Arab American media, and a panel on living in translation, bilingualism as an engine for literary creativity. So those are all the different ways in which we engage through translation um, that were highlighted in the symposium. You've all had such interesting and, and varied kind of stories on how you got here. And I think that's a really valuable asset to this, these projects you're doing, um, coming at it from so many different angles and like these different tools you're bringing to the table. And you've all been touching on something that I've been wondering about this project. What are you doing to make sure that this is a, a more faithful and robust and well-rounded translation, these projects that you're engaged in? Or rather, even if you're not doing direct translation in some of these projects, how are you like fostering and encouraging, you know, a faithful and accurate translation that isn't, as Graham said, just taking one word from a language, translating it into English and then calling the job done. Um, what work is being done there? Um, how important is the community in, in that pursuit? And how important is it to do a translation that way, as opposed to just trying to do it quickly and get the translation from A to B as fast as possible? Well, one of the key concepts in translation studies is that translation is a complex act and that it's never a simple transfer of meaning, but it's always happening within a context and a history and a community where translation becomes meaningful. So um, that's the, the basic principle of this whole project. Translate Midwest is that we live in a multilingual, multicultural community where we are depending on each other for translation all the time. Graham, in your work um, in journalism, when you were translating, how mindful of you were were you of that concept of trying to get a more faithful translation um, as opposed to just getting a more academic or a textbook translation? Yeah, I think uh, 
I think my trouble was actually in wanting to be too too faithful uh, to start because I think I was thinking of it more in terms of like, okay, we want to replicate the original article, but just in English. Um, But that turned out not to be um, good enough. I mean, there was a lot of information that Palestinian audiences just knew from their daily lives that American or British or other English speaking audiences just wouldn't know. And so we had to provide context so that that sort of going back to what Yopi was saying about translation happening within context, this context was, uh, you know, you're thinking about your audience um, and uh, what, so, so we might have an article that was published that looked a lot different um, in English than it would have if you were to just like plug the article into Google Translate. Um, but I wanted to speak a little bit more about uh, your uh, question that Yopi was answering. And um, I think one of the tensions that really came up in the event uh, that we put on in the fall was between, you know, just wanting to translate everything and have everything be shared um, so that everything could be made known on one side. And then the other side being that like, there's a um, really uh, troubling history of surveillance in the Arab American community in Dearborn. Uh, After 9-11, there was uh, a lot of attention that the FBI uh, gave to Arab Americans and Muslim Americans Um, And so there's often a hesitancy, and this is something that uh, Khaled talked about in his introduction to the event, that there's often a hesitancy to want to uh, be translated. Um, And sometimes people are sort of translated without giving consent. (laughs) They're they're overheard and translated by somebody in a dark room, say. Um, And so that's that's where I think the politics come in. And I, I think our third panel really focused on that. It's sort of like, what are the risks of translation? Um, what, um, what, what could be, what could cause harm, say, if we were to uh, translate something into this very universal English that loses some of the really detailed, rich cultural complexity um, with histories of, you know, pain and oppression associated with it. If we just translated that into some sort of universal English that everyone can relate to, um, some people's experiences are really uh, not taken into account there. And so both we need translation because, you know, people need to learn, for example, about the, the, the dangers of the COVID-19 pandemic of the Flint water crisis no matter what language they speak, so that we really need that. On the other hand, um, translation is uh, c- could be likened to surveillance or you know invasion of the right to privacy, and so uh, that's a tension that we're just re- constantly wrestling with, especially when we're thinking about the like contemporary Arab American Arabic English translation context. That's a very interesting perspective that I don't think many people, myself included, had considered that translation isn't always a consensual or or welcomed activity, that perhaps these communities feel some security or possession over their languages in these, you know, more insulated groups where they don't, you know, they want to have their, their own sense of community amongst themselves, not to be shared with everybody, unless they deem that fit. That's a very interesting perspective that you shared. And I really thank you for going into depth on that. Uh, To get to the headline of this podcast, I I was curious, in your guys' opinions, you know, why should we care? If I'm a listener, if I'm an undergraduate or someone not even in academia, I'm just, let's say 
uh, I think there's a stereotype that a Midwesterner is, you know, some farmer who raises cows or, or grows corn. If I'm that audience member, why should I care about this translation work? What's the importance of it, especially in the backyard of Southeast Michigan, Michigan as a whole, or the entire Midwest? What do you think the importance of this work is? Why should we care? Well, contrary to popular opinion, the Midwest is not homogeneous, it's not monolingual, and each community has its own history and uh, heritage um, through multiple languages and traditions. And so um, we are honoring and representing and recognizing um, all of those histories that make um, Michigan. So we don't want to be, um, while universalizing or homogenizing the Midwest. To the contrary, we want to make a wider range of people visible and um, think about uh, what creates access. Emmanuel Grant, do you have anything to add to that in, in your work, in your experience, or in just your opinion, why people should care and, and what the value in, in your projects and in doing this Translate Midwest or Multilingual Midwest is? I think similar to what Yopi mentioned, um, I think it, it, it's a, just having this assumption, you know, um, there, that only some stories are represented and that there, that there are so many, so many people um, in Michigan and in the Midwest, you know, who have uh, so much to share and so much that we can learn from and that, um, I've seen that in my own experience as an interpreter. I've learned so much from, from asylum seekers who are oftentimes human rights defenders who have sacrificed so much and, and they take so many risks and um, it has taught me so much. And sometimes I think that if it wasn't because I am bilingual, I would miss out on all of that. Um, and being, you know, I think, I don't know, what scholars said it, but I know somebody said, so I'm blanking right now, that the limits of your world are defined by the linguistic limits that you have. And I think, you know, as a translator, um, one of the things I try to do is kind of making those stories that oftentimes because of language barriers are constrained, making those more visible, bringing them to the forefront. And I think what this project does is just exactly high, highlighting those stories of resilience and sometimes even stories of oppression. You know, we need to be be more aware of that. And uh, in our, those are people who are already part of our community. And oftentimes, because of language barriers, they just don't. We don't get to see that. But because we don't see it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So I think translation does makes that link of bringing those stories to life. One of the uh outcomes of this project funded by the Mellon Foundation after running uh, seminars for two years is we've now created this public facing website called Translating Michigan, which is particular to our state. It's an invitation to the public to translate Michigan in a way that highlights the vibrant multilingual and migrant communities from across the, straight, from across the state. Um, and it shows the many ways that translation is present in our everyday lives. And this public facing website is, uh, is really an invitation for people to submit stories of multilingualism and migration that they've experienced from their own perspective through their parents or grandparents generation or through their own stories. And um, 
Emmanuel has a story featured on this site. There's also a story um, from um, Anissa Sahuba that was told to us at the symposium on um, translation and the making of Arab American community. She talks about her experience coming to Michigan as a Yemeni immigrant and how she uh, didn't understand the full translation of particular words. You really have to read the story on our website to, to get the full picture of what it's like to come to the States without knowing English. Graham, could you talk a little bit more about her story and how that came to came through your symposium to uh, be featured on our website, Translating Michigan? Sure, Yopi, yeah. Um, uh, we had, our first panel was about language access issues and sort of, and Anissa had her own personal experience of coming to the US from Yemen uh, without speaking much English and, uh, and having this really embarrassing experience happen to her in one of her elementary school classes where it was a miscommunication or a misunderstanding rather of uh, uh, something to do with a, with a food drive um, which not only was there, you know, the, the words were, it was a can, a can drive or a canned goods drive. And, um, just not only was the length was the, were the actual words difficult for Anissa to understand, but the concept itself was something that was completely foreign to her. Um, and so she talked about that experience and how sort of embarrassed she felt and, um, how she felt that, you know, there wasn't really an effort made to explain this to her after the fact, before the fact, it was just sort of seen as this funny thing. Um, and, but anyway, then she talks about how th that she ended up getting involved in this work with uh, the nonprofit community organization she works with now called Access. Um, and she works uh, now in providing language access for education for um, uh, Arabic speakers, but I think uh, speakers of other languages as well. Um, but I, I, can I answer the question you asked earlier about um, why should we care? I mean, I think that's a really, that's a really good question. And uh, because like, I think it's really obvious uh, to uh, us who, you know, in academia, uh, people who work on translation issues and who think about multilingualism all the time, but I think it's a really good question. Like it might be a, a question that somebody from, uh, you know, various parts of the state would ask, like, why, should, you know, that sounds really out of my wheelhouse. Why should I care? Um, I don't really like, uh, I, I think that something that, a lot of people could relate to is different registers of speech and different dialects of speaking. You know, um, I think that maybe rural farmer types might have the experiences of being sort of looked down upon for the way that they speak and just, just the way that there are um, just different dialects spoken uh, in Americans, America's uh, cities by black and white populations, by um, Latino populations, you know, they're all English, but they're different Englishes. But I think uh, there's often this idea of like, there's one version of proper English, and then all the rest are sort of, you know, incorrect in some way. And I think, I think that that's that people just kind of accept that without really thinking critically about it. But if we start thinking about these ways of speaking as different dialects, or just different Englishes, uh, you can see why translation would be really important as a way to uh, just communicate across cultures where, or even across uh, different populations um, to be able to understand each other more than just understanding each other's words, but uh, understanding like certain expressions that maybe I would think was rude, but if I really understood the proper context would realize, oh, actually, like there's a, there's a deeper meaning there that I'm missing because I don't really understand the dialect. I'm not that familiar with it. So I think that's another way that 
people from all backgrounds can come to start to see the value of, of something like translation. I think everything you guys said, each of your kind of different takes on why should we care was so important and so um, valid to hear. And I think, like you said, Graham, there is something that anybody could take from that, even if you're someone who's grown up only speaking and hearing English, depending on what your socioeconomic background is, or even your regional background, you could have a shared experience of not being or being understood, but being looked down upon, depending on like the vernacular you use. So I think that's a really valid reason to say, well, you should care because you've experienced this yourself. Um, and I, I wanted to ask real quick, because I know this has been a, a broader project tackling uh, multilingualism in the Midwest as a whole, but I also hear a lot of um, Michigan specific things going on. Have you guys been able to, at this point, branch out um, outside of the state? And if not, do you have plans moving forward to do something in our neighbors are moving even further out west. Well, the, the Mellon Foundation grant, which was for sites of translation in the multilingual Midwest was designed for us to do outreach, not only to the immediate state of Michigan, but to collaborate with other colleges and universities in the Midwest, who are also interested in doing research and teaching around this question. So Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, um, for sure, Indiana, Illinois, so the upper Midwest is really where we've been um, uh, reaching out to colleagues for uh, scholarly work and also to, to talk more about what our annual translatathon at the University of Michigan might, um, might accomplish if they were to create a similar event at their campuses. The other thing I wanted to say is that University of Michigan is really unique in that it has a strong commitment to teaching many languages, including less commonly taught languages. And that makes Michigan really um, a scholarly hub for language instruction and lang you know, uh, linguistically diverse scholarship. But as a public university, I think we also really owe it to the community to use this expertise and scholarship to reach out to the communities around us and to learn from the communities around us. And so that's, uh, that's why we, we're so interested in kind of thinking about regional, local forms of knowledge that our university can contribute to and, be, and participate in. You know, the Language Resource Center has um, a volunteer project they call the Language Bank and students who have particular language skills and who want to do volunteer translation for nonprofits or community organizations, they can sign up for the language bank. Um, and then um, local organizations also volunteer or offer projects. And then there's kind of like a matchmaking. So throughout the year, um, students have the opportunity to use their languages for this purpose. And it's one of the things that the Language Resource Center has really been um, at the forefront of. They're really leaders in making um, this program work. And that's how the Translate-a-thon also works every year through people connected to the language um, bank. I did wanna ask, uh, jumping off of that, what other projects do you guys have coming up in the near future? However you may define what near is. And then um, looking a little bit past the near and upcoming and scheduled projects, where do you want to take this project moving forward? How do you want to see it grow and expand and evolve? Well, the, the Sawyer seminar series um, had started last year with 
um, a seminar on Jewish multilingualism in the Midwest, thinking about um, new Yiddish archives. We had a seminar on Hispano-Filipino literatures and the archive in the US Midwest. We had um, a very interesting seminar on visualizing translation that involved a photography exhibit um, that has traveled to different uh, libraries in Michigan organized by Kristen Dickinson. Um, and in the fall, we're going to have a seminar called uh, Translating Hamtramck, which will take um, uh, um, students and faculty for uh, trips to Hamtramck to really be in dialogue and learn more about the multilingual communities um, overlapping in Hamtramck from Polish and um, Arabic speaking communities. They have about six or seven languages all coexisting in the same neighborhood as Graham knows from living there. So that's happening next year. Um, we're also doing some work collaborating with Hathi Trust around uh, the networks in multilingual languages uh, that exist there. And beyond that, the Translating Michigan uh, website and probably future collaborations around um, collecting more stories of multilingualism in Michigan. Uh... Well, I wanted to talk about the the Hamtramck thing just briefly, and uh, just I think well, once one thing that's just an interest. I just think it'll be a really great follow up um, to the event we did in the fall because um, we, I guess, there was uh, <clears throat> representation from Arab American communities all over the Midwest at that event, but I think Dearborn was maybe more the biggest focus of that event, and so Hamtramck's uh, interesting because it's not only Arabic speakers, but there's uh, people from Bangladesh, people from I think. Uh, from Eastern Europe, from I think Bosnia is represented, uh, Poland. Um, uh, and so that's at least, that's four. And I think there's Spanish speakers and we must be in English, I guess. I don't know if that makes six, but um, I just think one, one interesting thing is that in Hamtramck, I think they've been able to uh, have multilingual ballots with, with they'll, when they vote in Hamtramck, the ballots are translated into Bengali. And something that that was we talked about in the last uh, event in the fall was that Dearborn hadn't um, gotten that yet, even though Dearborn has a really, I think, the largest concentration of Arab Americans in the United States uh, this, for a city of its size. Um, but it was really interesting because after, you know, there was a, one speaker who really sort of harped on that and sort of kept going on about how ridiculous this is that they don't have Arabic language ballots in Dearborn, even in Dearborn. Um, that was something that actually just passed the Dearborn City Council um, a, a last month or maybe earlier this month. So they're now going to have Arabic language ballots um, in Dearborn. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so th those are some interesting threads that I'm, I'm looking forward to picking up on when we do the Hamtramck event uh, with uh, Zilko Wainek, who's going to be uh, um, the organizer of that event. And then Emmanuel, is there anything you're working on that you'd like to, to flag and say, hey, this really cool thing that I'm involved in is coming up? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm gonna be working on my capstone project for my translation minor um, in the fall. And as uh, Yopi has already suggested, um, I can use the work I already did for the Translatathon and just build up on that. And I, you know, I have some ideas. Um, I, I also worked uh, as a bilingual professional at the school district where I live. And, you know, I, I got to really see firsthand how underserved ESL students are 
Um, and I've been thinking about, you know, maybe using my capstone to reach out to those students and um, and also even like um, through my my own involvement with Freedom House, because again, um, I'm, I'm very much passionate about um, refugee stories. Like I, uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of my favorite things to do, uh, just translating that, those stories. And I, I think it's important to put that out there. Um, so I, I'm really excited about that. And I'm actually also taking a, um, history lab on uh, in refugee law that it's yeah it's it's very famous in Michigan actually it's 4041 I believe uh, so I am we're gonna do a lot of legal work related to translation so I think it also falls on under the this umbrella so, 